welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode. I'm so glad you're joining me. Hey, I want to tell you about a couple things before we jump into our episode. First off, head over to your socials, Facebook or Instagram, and follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights all the ministries of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church. It includes our blog called Planted, great content. It includes our mom-to-mom ministry for mothers. It includes our Regarding Him conference. It happens yearly in March. And of course, it includes this podcast, Unshaken. There's so much good content you are going to want to follow, so do it today. That will be in our show notes each and every week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory. It helps us out, but it also helps you out because you get notification of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to me at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you have ideas, suggestions, or even thoughts about an episode that you heard. Finally, as you know, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Hey, let's head into today's episode. Do you ever wish that you had a different house or a different kitchen? Do you ever wish that you had a different job or maybe had someone else's job? Do you ever wish that you had a different body? Okay, come on now. I'm pretty sure every woman can answer yes to a do you wish question. The truth is we all struggle with discontentment. I know I do at times. That's why this May we're going to focus on learning contentment on the Unshaken Book Chats. Erica Simpson and I are back. We're going to be discussing each chapter in the book Learning Contentment by Nancy Wilson on these episodes. You can grab that book at your favorite online bookstore, read a few chapters, and get ready to hear us as we talk through how we are learning how to be content. Join us in May for this series, Learning and Living Contentment. So today's episode is number 96, and it's called The Worthy Walk. We're going to be listening to a talk that was given a few years ago by Cheryl Bailey, we've had her on before, to a group of ladies at our church. Now, I want to actually start today by sharing with you the scripture that was read before this talk was actually given. It was the theme verse for this event and where we get the title. So here it is, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Hey, let's jump right into today's episode, The Worthy Walk. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. This Saul is the author of the letter which our verses are taken out of this morning. We know him as the Apostle Paul, a man marked by religious zeal, passionate about his Jewish faith. 
Paul participated in the death of Stephen, the first martyr, violently dragging men and women who followed Jesus to prison and relentlessly persecuting the early church. He was on his way to Damascus with authority to arrest those that believed in Jesus. I imagine Paul's mind was filled with thoughts that lie ahead. How he would find these Jesus followers. Could this be the thing that made a name for himself? Yet God had a different plan. Paul was walking step upon step, following the plan of his own choosing, the plan he had marked out. But in the midst of an ordinary step, God's plan came into play. It is no surprise that God came in a brilliant light flashing around him. God is always light, shining upon men to reveal the darkness hidden within. Paul is taken from a path of being against God, a path of hostility towards God, a path that is full of sin and death, and he is placed on a path that is for God, a path of peace with God, full of forgiveness and life. If you have been called by God this morning, your calling is not much different than Paul's. The brilliant light of God shines upon our darkness and gives light. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you will speak through me this morning, that the words that are spoken will be uh, powerful because your Holy Spirit is present in our midst. I pray, Father, that throughout this day we will have a glimpse, a greater glimpse, Lord, of who you are and what you're calling on us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you want to live in a manner worthy of the call? Then live in the presence of God. Paul had no doubt about his calling. You can't read through any of his letters or the book of Acts without his making some reference to it. As I grow to know the Apostle Paul, I am challenged and encouraged in my walk of faith because I see in Paul a man who understood who he was before he encountered God and how that calling has impacted every moment of every day of his life since. We are called from death to life. We are called from sinfulness to holiness. We are called from pride to humility. We are called from selfishness to selflessness. We are called from ease and comfort to suffering and discomfort. From the fall of Adam, every man, woman, and child is born in sin. Our sin separates us from God because God is holy. This means that he is pure. He's without any sin. There's no defect in him. God in his holiness cannot live with man because man is sinful. Earlier in this letter, Paul says, We were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with him because with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. God has called us out of darkness, calling us away from sin and into his light, full of the righteousness of Christ. Now, when I read through the book of Acts, three times I hear the account of God's call on Paul's life. And I believe that if it was recorded three times for us, that Paul probably told it over and over and over again. You notice that Paul never stops at the calling. It always results in his looking to heaven, 
to his father, to the works that God planned for him to do that would bring God glory. Have you been called by God? Now, if you're here today and you don't understand what this means to be called by God to a new way of life, to repent of your sins and to turn to God through Jesus' work on the cross, I will be in one of these back rooms after this talk, and I would love to talk with you. Please come and find me. If you have been called this morning, then when was the last time you thought about the call of God? When was the last time you spoke of this calling? Do the blessings of this call impact your daily life? Or is it something in your past? Oh, we may remember it from time to time, but it is often forgotten. Yes, our days are busy. Some of you work full-time. Some of you work part-time. Many of us spend long hours caring for children. We clean the house. We watch over elderly parents or special needs kids. We serve in various ministries. We teach. We go to school. I could go on and on and on about all the things that fill our day. Yes, it is easy to justify why the calling of God is not forefront in our minds. Yet, read through the Old Testament, and God calls for his people to remember But over and over and over again, the Israelites forgot God. We are told to give heed to ourselves and keep our souls diligently so that we do not forget the things which our eyes have seen, so that these things do not depart from our heart all the days of our life. And not only are we to keep them in our heart, but we are to make them known to our sons to our daughters, to our grandchildren, to every person that God brings into our path. We are called to remember the work of God in our life, both in his calling us to salvation and of all his works of faithfulness and love to us. Yet, we are no different than the Israelites. They were chosen by God, called to be his children, given an inheritance, yet they quickly forgot this call this relationship, and they went back to a self-centered lives. They thought they deserved more than God was giving them, and they turned back to sin, embracing death. They turned back to unbelief, not speaking the truth of God's word to themselves. They chose to believe lies and became fearful, anxious, full of doubt and unbelief. They failed to remember God, his mighty works, his faithfulness, his abundant love, And they produced generations that did not know God. They forgot God by believing lies. God is not big enough for my situation. God doesn't love me enough to provide for me. Are you any different than these Israelites? I doubt it. Because I know my own heart. And these are the thoughts that fill it. I forget God and I return to live as the old woman. God created Adam and Eve to live in his presence and to have fellowship with him. But once Adam sinned, their fellowship was broken. They were ashamed to be in his presence. The curse brought many painful things into their lives, but the biggest was separation from God, being cast from the garden out of the presence of God. They were no longer able to walk with God. Yet... Our sin doesn't surprise God. Nothing surprises him. He planned to send Jesus, 
and through Jesus Christ to restore our ability to live in the presence of God. The work of God calling us is a work of his bringing you into his presence. It is easy to forget God. I can be in the middle of reading my Bible and be thinking of all the things I need to do that day. I can be praying and at the same time be thinking how somebody had offended me. I don't think that Satan really cares what he uses to distract us from living in the presence of God. He just wants to make us forget God and to wander from his presence. Paul begins this letter to the church of Ephesus, reminding them of all the spiritual blessings that they had been given. Do you remember who you were? Are you grateful for the blessings that God has given you? God revealed himself to me when I had no knowledge of him. He chose me when all I had was brokenness and sin. He adopted me, picking me up and saying, I want you. He gave his only son to die on my behalf, taking the punishment for my sins. God filled me with wisdom and understanding. He placed the Holy Spirit within me as a convictor, a guide, and an intercessor. The more I know God, the more I live in his presence, the more I will walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This is true for me, and it's true for each of you. Early in this letter, Paul tells his readers that he is praying for them to be given the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that they might know God better. He has made it clear in the greeting that he is writing to believers, the faithful in Christ Jesus. But he understands that for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to be a child of God, we must be growing in our understanding of who God is. This is a theme that Paul repeats over and over in his epistles. What keeps us from clinging to God and desiring to know him? When I was in high school, my Bible teacher gave us a half a credit extra point each day that we read, a, read our Bible and wrote in our journal. Now, this was good, and I read my Bible every day. And I believe that God's word does not return void, so that it was a benefit to me. However, my motive was extra credit, not knowing God. Now, I fast forward 30 years, which makes me feel pretty old. Six years ago, Julie Van Warmer asked me to participate in a Good Morning Girls group. This meant that each person in the group was committing to read the Bible and email those in the group um, for accountability. God had been softening my heart to him in wonderful ways. Well, I said yes. Truth, truthfully, daily devotions had been hard for me. And, but I knew they were good, and my heart really desired to know God more. I knew consist that accountability would be good for me, so I agreed. Now, I'm a morning person, and in the past, if I would get up and read the Bible, and I wouldn't read the Bible in the morning, I would often just not read it. Um, but now I knew that Sharon Arndt was going to send me an email, and all it said was MIA in the subject line. <laughs> this was the accountability that I needed, but the truth was, God had now given me a heart that desired to know him and to, desired to read his word. I look back at those days, and I'm thankful that Julie asked me to join. She could have assumed that because I was the pastor's wife, I had everything together. God was at work in me, and he was giving me more and more of a desire to know him. I was not just committed to reading the Bible, because I had done that in high school. 
Now I was committed to learning who God was. As I look back with my struggle with spending time with God, I really believe it stemmed from my not wanting to give up my control and to depend on God. As I began teaching an outreach Bible study in Haskins, I began to ask myself, what do I really believe? Why do I believe these things? I couldn't sit at the table with these ladies, many who did not know God, some who had just come to faith with God, and give them answers that were just status quo. I needed to be real with them, but I also needed to be real with God. Now, God was changing my heart. I was no longer simply reading the word to check it off or respond to an email. I wanted to know God. I wanted his word applied to my life because I knew his word was the only answer. Many of you have been a part of a Bible reading accountability group, and I am so grateful for that. But I would like to challenge you to walk further. Psalms 1 speaks of the man that is blessed by the Lord. He is the man that delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. When I think about what it means to meditate, I always think of a cow chewing its cud. The cow finds great delight in the grass that was provided to nourish it. But the pleasure only begins initially. The cow chews and swallows. Then he brings it back up and chews some more. Swallows again, brings it back up and chews some more and swallows again. This is what God is calling us to do with his word. Do you want to walk in a a manner worthy of the calling of God? To live in his presence, then delight in his word, meditating on it all through the day and night. Be like a cow who delights in the grass the first time it goes down, and the second and the third and the fourth. Now, I know some of you may think, wow, that's a pretty gross analogy. But I want to walk in a manner worthy of the call of God. And my desire is that each of you walk in the same manner. So read the Bible. Take something from it. Chew it up. Swallow it. Think about it through the day. Speak about it to other people. Let it filter through everything you do in the course of your day. Living in the presence of God is not just being careful when we think he's around. It's not living half-hearted in the light. Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For me to live in the presence of God means a heart that longs for God, a mind that is continually seeking to know him more, a soul that moment by moment is communing with him, a body that responds joyfully to God's presence in obedience. I cannot live in the presence of God without it radically changing my life. God's thoughts become my thoughts. God's ways become my ways. Our Bible studies will become places of excitement, vulnerability, and growth. Our conversations will be filled with praise for the things that we see God doing. Our actions will be ones that seem foolish and crazy to the world. We will continually be growing in love for God, and that will be reflected in our obedience to him. The natural progression of living in the brilliant light of God's presence is the ability to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God. It's not difficult to identify those people who walk with God. Their lives are a stark contrast to the world around them. 
They know God in a way that impacts every thought and every action. When you read through scripture, you see how faith makes these men and women live in radical ways. They respond to crisis with trust, to fear with faith. They make choices that align with scripture. They don't seek to make scripture fit their choices. Their words give praise to God, and they give him thanks in every situation. Their motivation is not esteem from friends, but giving glory to God. Paul says, I consider everything a loss if I can only know God. Do you come to church expecting to be in God's presence? Do you prepare yourself for worship? What does your house look and sound like when you're getting ready to leave? What conversations happen in your car as you drive to church? Do you regularly walk out of worship? Do your kids know that they better go to the bathroom before they come to church because you're not going to leave worship to leave the presence of God for one minute so that they can go to the bathroom? Are you still in the presence of God when you take a child to the nursing room? Or has now this time become a time for idle chatter? We should desire to live in his presence, to walk every step with God by our side. So it is not just in corporate worship that I want to challenge you this morning. Living in the presence of God removes my desire to live in a way that I am glorified, that my friends praise me and my abilities. It gives me a desire to praise and glorify God in everything that I do. Living in the presence of God means that maybe I stop 10 or 20 times in the midst of my prayer to repent that my mind has wandered and that I have forgotten God. Living in the presence of God means fighting over and over and over the thought that tempts me to sin, fighting until holiness is victorious in my life. Living in the presence of God means that there is utter consistency in our lives, Our life at church, at Bible study, at small group is lived in the same way as we live at school, at work, and at home. This means that our sin is real, it's exposed, and it's dealt with wherever we are. It means that we're not hypocrites, but we are vulnerable, acknowledging God in every situation. Living in the presence of God means I live exposed to the brilliant light of God. This light reveals my sin and it purifies my life. It means I will see consistent change in my obedience to God, in my relationships with fellow believers, in my submitting to my husband, in my kindness, in my patience, in my self-control. I could go on and on. If You cannot look back at the last year of your life and see the path that you have walked has increased in holiness. I want to challenge you that you are not living in the presence of God. We cannot live in the light without there being growth. The light of God will radiate on our sin and it will bring change. Paul pleads with God on behalf of the churches that God will make himself known to them. If you desire more of God's presence in your life, 
Plead with him. Be a cow and chew the cud. Bring it up all day long. Pray those prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3 that Paul prays, asking him to give himself to you and to make himself real to you in tangible ways. Pray in faith, believing that God is a good father who when his child comes asking, that he will not turn him away, but will give him immeasurably more than he asks or can imagine. Do you want to live in the presence of God? Then fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus lived to bring the Father glory by completing the work he had given him to do. He was strengthened over and over and over again as he goes off to spend time in prayer with his Father. If Jesus is strengthened to finish the work he was called to do by being in the Father's presence, how much more do we need this? Now, every one of us would say that we consider the calling of God important, but do our actions in life match the words we say? God calls us to faith, yet when our child becomes ill, are we filled with anxiety and fear? God calls us to peace, Yet we live in turmoil because we refuse to submit to our husbands. God calls us to love, yet we hold on to our possessions very tightly. God calls us to unity, yet our relationships are filled with strife, with bitterness, with anger. God calls us to one body, yet we are critical and angry, speaking against decisions that the elders might make. I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, when in doubt, look up. Isn't this the extent of our calling? We walk through life taking care of ourselves, trusting in ourselves, and occasionally we hit a roadblock, and that makes us doubt, so we look up. God provided his son to complete the work needed to call us, but also as an example to follow. Hebrews 12 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Isn't God good? He calls us to this walk of faith, to desire, desiring us to walk in his presence by our side. And he gives us his son to walk before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus keeps us from growing weary, from stopping, from losing heart, giving heart, losing heart and giving up. Jesus knew the work that God had determined would fill his walk. And in humble obedience, he completed it. His sole desire was to bring the Father glory. This was the joy that took him through betrayal, through scorn, through rejection, through separation, through physical mistreatment, even through the death on a cross. Of Jesus, Paul says, he was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Can you follow Jesus in this? When you were called... Your old self was put to death, and death no longer is its master. For us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, we must have faith that Jesus walked before us 
and did all that was necessary for us to follow. I often want to return to death, back to sin, yet my eyes are fixed on Jesus. Then I realize that death is defeated, that the victory was won on the cross. My following Christ means I will not return to the grave, but I will live in the light. I have come to believe that we want to live horizontally, comparing ourselves to others, thinking about our life circumstances, concerned about pleasing friends. This is sin. We need to live vertically. Christ's motive to glorify his Father becomes my motive. Christ's standard of holiness becomes my standard. Christ's objective to finish the race becomes my objective. Christ's vision of heaven becomes my vision. Christ's perspective becomes my perspective. For me to walk in a manner worthy of the calling means I must fix my eyes on Jesus. Fix means to attach in such a way that they will not move. Is this how you walk? Your eyes so permanently fixed on Jesus that I can see nothing else. At one point in my marriage, I was determined that I would not continue to have conflict over things that did not have eternal significance. This was hard, but I had realized how much of David and my conflict were due to things that didn't matter. Things that were selfish. If I wanted to walk one as one called by God, I needed a new perspective. And I found that perspective in Jesus in looking to the joy of heaven that was before him, the joy of bringing glory to the Father. Now, I didn't do this perfectly, and it didn't end all our marriage troubles, but it did begin to cut them down. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we be, our walk begins to have discernment. We think about what is valuable in life and what is temporary. Our eyes do not turn to our own issues and our own problems because they're fixed elsewhere on following Jesus as we look to heaven and glorifying the Father. I said to several ladies the other day, you know, people who have problems sure have a lot of problems. And people that don't have problems, well, they just don't seem to have problems. Now, these ladies all laughed, and they didn't think this was my most profound statement I've ever made. (laughs) But the truth is, when we fix our eyes on ourselves... We see all the consequences of sin and the uglinesses of our life. And we live dwelling on our circumstances. But when we live with our eyes fixed on Jesus, yes, the consequences of our sin are still there and the uglinesses of our life still exist. But when we are dwelling on Jesus... Our eyes are now fixed somewhere else. They're set on finishing the work that God has called us to do and glorifying him in the process. Our perspective is different when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. By the time Paul was writing this letter, he was a prisoner being guarded in a house that he was required to rent. Acts 28 says he welcomed all who came to see him. Did he welcome them to complain about being stuck in the house, unable to leave, as he waited trial before Caesar? 
Did he tell them of his mistreatment, how everyone was unfair to him? Did he talk about his beatings and his imprisonments and his shipwrecks? No. He boldly and without hindrance preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew all too clearly that this life is short, and his calling had given him hope of eternal peace in life, and he desired others to know this same hope to know the one who had called him and the path of Jesus through which our calling comes. The circumstances of this life did not cause Paul to complain and be critical. They were simply a part of the call of God on his life. About three and a half years ago, our family was planning to take a trip to Europe. David had been on some meds to kill hepatitis in his body, and it had been a really hard year. The medicine had many side effects, and some of them were really hard on David, and others were hard on me, like his anger that made him seem like a firecracker with a really short fuse. As we approached the time of our trip, David was physically weak from the treatment of the meds, and I kept saying, are you sure we can go? Maybe we should postpone the trip. Now, I said this, But in my heart, I really wanted to go. I had invested a lot of time, and we had invested money in this trip already, and my desire was to go. Well, many of you know, we came down to the last week before we were to leave, and it became apparent that we could not go. David was just too sick. So scrambling at the last minute, a friend said that we could use their house in Hilton Head for three weeks to give David a place to rest and recuperate. Now, I knew I would have three weeks of downtime, and I don't like not having much to do. So I wanted to bring along something that was profitable. So I asked Wendy if she had any books that would be good to read, and she gave me a little book called Humility. Now, many of you, I know, are very sick of hearing me talk about this little book. But God used these three weeks in my life and this little book in my path of walking with God. I really need to call it not just a step in my walk, but a running triple long jump. He spent these three weeks, as I spent these three weeks nursing David, reading the book of Mark, reading this humility book, and riding my bike around Hilton Head praying. This book spoke of the correlation between humility and dependence on God. I have always been very self-sufficient. My mom was sick almost my entire growing up, and I took care of myself. This led to my depending on myself in all of life, including my relationship with God and with David. I spent three weeks thinking about the word and talking to God, and it changed my life. God convicted me of my need to depend on him. So I began to spend 10 or 15 minutes in prayer before getting out of bed every day. I ask God to make me depend on him. I ask him to make me trust him in specific ways. This habit, which has continued till today, has been an incredible blessing to me. God was changing my heart. And as my heart changed, so did the walk that he had called me to run. The problem is that we often take our eyes off of Jesus because we value the things along the path. God was teaching me to fix my eyes on Jesus, on eternity, not on the circumstances along my path. The calling of Paul made him say, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. When we determine what we value, we will see what we are actually following. Do you want to live in a manner worthy of the calling? Then live in the presence of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus and depend on the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm a fast walker, and I often find myself walking four or five paces ahead of David and having to stop and kind of wait for him to catch up. Now, you may say, well, that's good. Good to be a fast walker. You burn off more calories, and that's true. But what this really says is that I want to lead the way. This is true in my relationship with David, and it's also true in my relationship with God. I have a constant battle going on in my mind between what I think is important and what God is calling me to do. To follow him, not to be stopping and saying, okay, here I, here I am, God, come on and catch up. But no, to be following Jesus. This walk is not a walk we do out of our own strength and abilities. I can try. I may think I'm succeeding, but it will never be a worthy walk as long as I rely on myself. For it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Paul is not saying in this letter, here is the standard, now live up to it. Paul encourages the believer to live out of the calling through the power of the indwelling's Holy Spirit. In the verses just prior to Ephesians 1, 4, 4, 4, 1, sorry, Paul is saying these words, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his, inner be through, through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is not saying to walk this way. Come on, you can do it. Just try a little harder. He is saying, know God in an intimate way. Live in his presence. Remember his call. Don't forget it. Look to Jesus and follow his example. And don't try to accomplish this work on your own. It's impossible. Remember, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus this morning, be strengthened by that. It didn't matter what God brought into the Apostle Paul's life. Stoning, prison, physical abuse, rejection, not given a wife, no children, physical ailments like weak eyes. Paul knew the God who called him. And he looked to follow Christ, and he was strengthened in his inner being through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that whatever God called him to do, he had the ability to walk through it. For many years, I was walking in a manner of my own choosing, following the ways that I desired to go. Well, whoever said you can't teach an old dog new tricks did not know God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise him that he works, and he keeps working, and he keeps working, and that age does not matter to him. Now, submission was not something that I grew up hearing about. It's hard, especially for a strong, and I'm not going to say this again, stubborn, self-sufficient person. But I knew that this type of person, personality, needed a strong man, and God gave me one. I worked over the years to submit. However, 
I knew that over the past 10 years, David had come to believe the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, speaking of head coverings, that it was true for today. But because he had never come out directly and said it, I figured I could slide by. After all, the people who were not submissive were the ones that needed to do this, and I was submissive. This was the rationale of my mind. Now, a year had gone by since our trip to Hilton Head, and God was continuing to soften me and giving me a longing to live in his presence. I continued to daily seek him, to make me depend on him, and now I was asking him more and more to make me trust David. Our marriage had been full of really hard things, and I knew that I did not trust David. One day, David said something again about head coverings, and I knew this time I had to do it. It did not matter what I thought about the passage or how I felt. It didn't matter what other people would think of me. God was calling me to trust and to depend on him and to obey him by submitting to David. So I did it. I made a few scarves and I wore them. Now I'm not saying to you, oh, we're head covering. That's not the point. My point is submit and obey God. Whatever he calls you to do. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Now, a few months later, we were preparing to go on our now postponed trip to Europe. And I asked five friends to pray for me about four specific areas. I knew I needed prayer because I knew that that my sin would come out and I didn't want it to. I prayed myself and I fought my sin. The sin that would want to take control and guide our whole trip. The sin that would make me want to say, no, we're spending money wrongly here. We want to do it this way. Now, I knew it was not something I could do on my own, that I had to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So I prayed every day, all through the day on our trip, and I had these women praying for me. Now, towards the end of our trip, we had four days left, and we pulled into Delphi, Greece. It's a tourist trap. The room I had booked was not very nice. It was raining, and David was not happy. I made a comment. He made a comment about how t- the whole trip I had made negative comments about money. Well, I had made a couple, but his statement was really not true. Now, a few months before we left, David's brother Tim had said to me, you know, you're really never honest with David. And God had been convicting me of trusting him and David. So I decided to tell the truth. I told them that he led at church, but he did not lead at home. I told him that he was passive-aggressive, abdicating and getting angry. Now, I'm not telling you David's sins because I was free from them. God, by his spirit, was convicting me and changing me. And I had to trust him to work in my marriage. Now, this led to a really big fight. But ultimately, it led to wonderful things. We confessed sin. We spoke of the changes that we needed to make. We committed to pray together daily, to step out in faith and trust God. David took more responsibility and began to lead. And God has blessed us over these past two years more than I could have ever begun to imagine. My heart did not change overnight, and I am not done changing. I pray that God will continue to push me out of what is comfortable for me. The things that I am capable of doing on my own, the things that require no faith, and through his spirit, make me walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God to be his child. I believe that God blessed me by calling me to depend on him 
and calling me then to obedience in my submission to David by wearing a head covering. This worthy walk begins in our initial call to salvation, but that is only the beginning. We must continue to walk worthy of that initial call through every call that God gives to us in life. Do you resist change? Do you put off the nudge of the Holy Spirit until you don't feel it anymore? Do you work to live in a way that's comfortable, a way that doesn't stretch your life, a way that you don't have to trust or depend on God? If I live in such a way that I don't need the Holy Spirit, I am not walking in a manner that is worthy. I must walk stepping onto a path that is hard, to walk on, a path that makes me trust the Holy Spirit, using his power, trusting that the Holy Spirit will live in me, that he will sustain me, that he will uplift me, that he will encourage me and empower me. I want to end this morning with an example from my years of basketball, which probably only Sue will appreciate. <laughs> Now, basketball was not my favorite sport, but it did give me something to do between volleyball and softball. Now, basketball has several different types of defense. A zone defense means that you guard an area under the basket. A man-to-man defense means that you're given a specific person and you have to stay by them when they come to your end of the court. But then there's the full court press. This means that you have an opponent, and wherever she goes on the entire court, you press in. Now, a full-court press was often done when the game was close, when you're ahead by just a few points, and you are going to do everything in your power to not give up. You want victory. This type of defense is a risk. My opponent might get past me, but it's also a killer to my mind and my body. I'm always having to think, and I'm always moving. If I stop, it might mean the ball gets by me and they score. Now, one day we played a team from a reform school. And the score going into the last quarter was 106 to zero. We began passing the ball to the other team because we had heard that if they scored 10 points, they got to stop at McDonald's on their way home. So we wanted them to be able to go to McDonald's. So we were passing the ball. We knew our victory was secure. And it had an effect on us that we didn't work very hard. Now, another game we played Dayton Christian. This team was known to be very good, and we wanted to win. Dayton Christian rarely lost. They began the game playing in such a way that they said, ah, we already won this game. We don't have to work too hard. Well, pretty soon, they realized that their opponent was tough, and the coach began to pull the second-string people that he had started with and put in his first-string players. Now, we fought until that final timer. We pressed in against our opponents. We ran hard. We shot well until we had victory. Now, many of you probably don't care about basketball, but I want you to understand that this walk we have been called to is a full court press. The victory was won on the cross, but we are called to pour ourselves out in service to God, to run hard the race we have been given. Are you walking half-heartedly, assuming that your calling is secure and that you don't need to press on till the end? Philippians 2.12 says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You may look at me and say, Well, 
you're the pastor's wife. You have to run all out. Yes, that's true. But it's true of you as well. God has called every woman here who is a believer in Christ to run all out for him. If we want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, we will walk in the presence of God. We, that our words will be full of gratitude. We will allow his light to reveal sin. We will not stop praying, but we will be talking to God and trusting him with the results. We will fix our eyes on Jesus. We will speak to him, of, to others of him, calling out an invitation to follow Jesus. We won't quit calling our kids to live for Jesus, but we will set examples of holiness for them to follow. We will kill our pride, and we will follow Jesus in humility. We will depend on the Holy Spirit, asking him to convict us of sin and to give us power to change. When we are wronged, we will show love. We will lay aside our desires, and we will pick up the will of God. We will live this moment by moment, walk of faith. Do you want to live in a manner worthy of the calling of God? Then live in the presence of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches, each woman here may be strengthened with your power in her inner being through the Holy Spirit, so that Jesus Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we will be rooted and established in love, filled with power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Okay, so that's a lot that we can apply from this particular talk. But here's just a couple of the things that I grabbed onto that I need to remember. Number one, read your Bible every day. It's funny that she actually brought me up in this talk because I remember struggling a great deal that summer that I asked women to read with me. I had read a blog post by somebody about how this helped them and I thought, I need the accountability of a Bible reading group. Honestly, Here's a kind of a secret. I asked her because I thought she was already doing this. I thought, come on, she's a pastor's wife. For sure, she's reading her Bible every day. She'll help us. She'll lead us in this. Funny thing, Cheryl is actually a human person, and she and I both struggled with reading our Bible at that time. And really, this accountability group began a long journey for me of reading my Bible consistently with other women. It's been so good. Okay, number two, I love her illustration of chewing her cud <laughs> or really meditating on God's word. I just think I need to do that more often in my life. Sometimes I'm stressed or I'm overwhelmed or I'm concerned about something and I end up pondering my stress or what's overwhelming me or what's concerning me, but I could be pondering God's truth and God's word. And that was just a really easy way for me to apply her talk. 
Now, I don't want you to get caught up on the head covering topic. Cheryl wasn't calling us to all wear head coverings because in some way it makes us more spiritual, but she was calling us to obey God by obeying her husband. Now, I actually have a little different story than hers, but I think it is super applicable right now under this topic. My husband and I own some rental properties in our city, and a few years ago, probably seven or eight, my husband was feeling pretty overwhelmed with all the work that needed to be done at two or three properties, and he asked me and some of our kids to go and do the um, painting on the walls, and the trimming, and the edging, and, uh, and then some cleaning. Now here's the thing. I hate painting. <laughs> I don't really like cleaning someone else's house either. I know some of you out there love to do those things, and but it's just not my thing. But he asked me and I had a choice to make, just like Cheryl did when she had to make a choice about wearing head coverings. So here's what happened. I didn't really want to, and I will be honest that my attitude wasn't right, but I did decide I would go and paint with my kids. I packed up all my kids. My two younger ones were like three and six at the time, and I got them little fishy cracker bags and um, a little bitty TV set so they could watch some cartoons. The other four were all in paint clothes, old tennis shoes, and off we went to spend five or six days painting at a rental property. I started out that day pretty frustrated in my heart, and over the course of painting, which is kind of a mindless concept, mindless thing to do, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I was really not obeying if I wasn't obeying in my heart. I wasn't really doing what my husband asked. I was also reminded that I was actually going to be speaking at our women's conference that was coming up that spring, and my topic that I had been given was the topic of marriage. I had already planned out this talk in many ways and I wanted to talk about submission and here I was having to practice following my husband's lead. I knew I had to do it. So I asked the Holy Spirit to help me have the right attitude and I kept painting. I put on some praise and worship music and I kept painting. And we did this for the next four, six days and it probably took us a good week and we finally finished all the jobs. Now, I'm not gonna tell you that I miss painting. I really don't, it's not my favorite job. But I am gonna tell you that it was a really good practice for me. It really blessed my relationship with my husband. He was so thankful for the work that we did, even though it was not perfect. I helped our family out by painting with our business, and my kids learned lessons by watching how I responded and they actually gained some skill in painting. My little kids practiced learning to be content with their little bag of fishy crackers and a cartoon DVD. All in all, it was good. It was hard. So just like Cheryl talked about head coverings, we shouldn't really get caught up in exactly what it is our husbands is calling us to do. But what we should get caught up in is obeying God. Now I wanna end with just a final thought that I remember Cheryl bringing up, that we need to think about how we live. Are we living vertically or are we living horizontally? If we're living horizontally, we're comparing ourselves to everyone around us. And honestly, we will always find somebody who is worse off than us. And it will make us feel better about ourselves. So instead of living horizontally, we need to live vertically. And that is comparing ourselves to the true and holy Christ. That means we need to see our sin and we need to work on it every day in our lives. This is the true way that you and I can live the worthy walk.
Hey, join us next week for part two of The Worthy Walk. Um, I'm actually going to spend some time one-on-one talking with Cheryl about how her marriage is doing. We've heard a lot about her marriage today as we listened. We're going to talk about the nitty-gritty parts of marriage and how our marriages, although they're difficult, they're also very good, and how we can bring glory and honor to God through our marriages. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.